Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, before we get into all the news and politics, let the listeners know why they should be listening to Politically Entertaining every week. Uh, you should be tuning in to us because uh, we're trying to, we, we try to give you the important things that you need. Um, as we say all the time, especially this season, is an election year, uh, big, big, big uh, presidential election. But that's not the only thing that's going on. It's plenty of uh, social issues, racial issues, uh, more and more uh, cop shootings and just all types of things going on, man, plus COVID. So there's a ton of things going on. Uh, just wanted to start off, man, by first, you know, we usually talk about a, a light topic or whatever, but I want us to talk about us and uh, just see what's going on, man. Because on my end, you know, my daughter is, is hating life. She's pretty much been out of school since March. And they start this Tuesday. By the time this episode drops, uh, she probably will have started school. Uh, so she she's hating life, man. Uh, we had to go pick up her iPad and download all this stuff and put it on there. And just we got the whole dining room set up like a classroom for down there. So that. And uh, for me, I've been personally enjoying uh, Cobra Kai on Netflix. A lot of nostalgia there if you are a fan of Karate Kid. But uh, I don't want to so much talk about the show. What I got from it, man, because you always hear people say the winner gets to dictate the story. And in Karate Kid, we saw that movie pretty much from the point of view of... um, Ah, what's his name? Daniel Son. I'm going to call him Daniel Son. Um, but when you look at Cobra Kai, it looks at both characters. The guy that he beat in the final championship that was the so-called villain and that was a part of Cobra Kai. You get his point of view and you get Danny's point of view. Danny Russo, it just came to me. You get both of their point of view. And there is no good guy on Cobra Kai. Like, it's a bunch of gray. Danny's not perfect. Obviously, the other guy is not perfect, man. And it just makes you look at Karate Kid in a different way. And it's just another, it's a, a fun example of how the winner gets to tell the story. And that story isn't always necessarily true. But if you win, you know, your story is the one that gets told. But uh, what's, what's going on with you over there? Man, um, glory to God for being alive. <laughs> to be honest with you, there's been so much happening. Uh, obviously, I've been disheartened by, uh, since the last time I recorded, there's obviously been more, you know, shootings and more, just more more things being revealed that we already knew were there. Um, I, I, am, I am happy to announce that I've actually been um, working on a new podcast as a, um, that I'm working with. There's a, a, a gentleman, Pastor Justin Douglas, of the Belong Collective in Church in Pennsylvania is a podcast called Defund the Church. And what's interesting about that is, so I, I, I had the revelation or God gave me the revelation for this idea. And my idea of Defund the Church was just the idea that the church as it ex- has existed has become this thing where we talk about Donald Trump, we, we make fun of him for talking about a wall, building it, but the church has actually built more walls than Donald Trump ever could. So I was approaching it from that angle, but actually um, when I spoke with him, his angle was more of uh, understanding the white evangelicals and the role they've played in the uh, oppression and uh, racial injustice in this country and how um, the church needs to step up, particularly white evangelicals. And the idea is to um, have a tactical approach where you approach 
leadership in the church and, and, and basically ask them to expand their diversity, ask them to expand their reach towards the underprivileged, the minorities, those people who we say are brothers and sisters in Christ. And if not, um, defund the church, take your tithe and go elsewhere. Uh, and, and so it's just an amazing um, movement that, that we're a part of because this is a black man and a white man seeing the kingdom of God as it should be seen. We're not talking across each other saying, well, you know, white people will do this and that. We are having the conversations that are, are, are matching or, or how would you say, marrying the historical inaccuracies the daughters of confederacy have like you know papered over in textbooks and religion has papered over with a white jesus and we're bringing it all to bear with the truth of what really needs to happen and, and i think it's going to be a great thing i know there's going to be people that think it's one way but it's, it's really the other way like like uh like my man um marlo said and, and i think this is the way that god wants it to be so i'm really excited about it so again that's defund the church we actually just launched it today so i want to encourage you guys to listen uh, and check that out as well. I think I think there's a lot there. Um, there's going to be a lot of fruit that comes from that for this partnership. And I want to shout out Pastor Justin Douglas of the Belong Collective for uh, just joining and being a part of this movement that we're doing together. Very good stuff, man. Uh, wish you much, much luck on that. And uh, you know, looking forward to uh, hearing some of the stuff from that because that's that's actually just a great topic in general. Uh, but just wanted to give you guys a little bit what's going on with us. We actually rarely talk about ourselves on this show, so we wanted to change it up. With that said, let's get into the music. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host, Frank. We are back, and Politically Byron. Entertaining. My man Frank Turner is with me. We ask that you subscribe. We're on Apple, iTunes, we're on Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, as my man Bomani Jones always says on his podcast, if you can rate this show, please give us five stars. Anything less than five, we have to assume that you are a hater. Uh, before we get into the show, man, real quick, I just want to say a, um, it's been a week now as we will post this show, but a, a quick rest in peace to Chadwick Bozeman. We lost John Thompson, as well as uh, former Portland Trailblazer Cliff Robinson. And if you don't quite remember who Cliff Robinson was, he's the guy with the headband on in that inf well, famous Michael Jordan shot where he shirks his shoulders. Uh, during his second championship run. So rest in peace to those three men. Uh, 2020 continues to be a difficult and challenging year. But uh, so we got a lot to get into. Um, first topic I want to get into, man, football season is about to start. Uh, and the commissioner, Roger Goodell, he sat down with a former uh, NFL player, former linebacker by the name of uh, Emmanuel Aiko, uh, who has a, a YouTube show called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And it's funny, too, because I just mentioned Bomani Jones. He actually was trying to get the interview with Roger Goodell, but his people decided to go 
this route and not with bow money. And one of the main things that, uh, one of the first things Goodell said when he was on the show and was being interviewed was that he believes that people need to be made uncomfortable before real change comes. And some of the things that I picked up from the interview was first, his dad. His dad, man, he, he marched with Coretta Scott King and, and risked his re-election. His dad wound up losing that re-election, but he didn't care. He knew it was a risk by marching with her, but he did it anyway because he felt it was right. And it was surprising to hear that because if that's your upbringing, my first question was, and they didn't ask him during the show uh, directly, kind of asked in a roundabout way, but the first question that popped in my mind was then, why were you so reluctant uh, to support Colin Kaepernick in the beginning? But you have to remember, Goodell is not really in control of that league. Like he enforces a lot of the rules, but those 32 owners, that's who run the league. They hired him, they paid him. So he pretty much has to do what they want him to do. And so he was reluctant in supporting Colin Kaepernick. Now recently he's come out in support and he said that he wished he had supported him much sooner. Um, but another thing I would have liked to see brought up was one of the solutions to this could be a more diverse ownership within the league. When a team is up for sale, like recently, uh, the Carolina Panthers just got a new owner. Just like you had a Rooney rule with uh, head coaches, maybe you need to implement something like that with with ownership because I know it's a very very uh, it's it's a tough process to go through to become an owner in the NFL and just see if there are any minority minorities that would like to own a league so I mean own a team so I would like to see that and I would have loved to hear him comment on was part of his reluctance was part of the league's reluctance to support Kaepernick to support the players that were kneeling was part of that reluctance due to Trump. I mean, because you can say what you want about Trump, but Trump is very influential with the people that follow him. He has a loud megaphone. He has, a, he has the presidential podium. And, you know, when he gave that speech in Alabama, no less, and called them sons of bitches and, and said how they all need to be fired for kneeling and kicked off the team, did that make the league even more reluctant? to support these players in the beginning because they didn't want to catch that heat from the president and his supporters. So uh, decent interview. You should check it out again. Uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Uh, Frank, did you watch the interview and what did you take from it with the commissioner of the NFL? I definitely watched it. Um, you know, one of the things is, you know, I was very disappointed when I found out who he was as far as like who his father was. Like, I didn't know. I just thought Roger Goodell was some suit that they hired. Um, and, you know, it was like, the funny thing is what his dad did, how his dad risked losing his uh, Senate seat for re-election, he should have done the same thing. He should have been willing to lose his job as commissioner, right? Now, I do, I do agree he couldn't necessarily change the owner's minds. But he should have said, you're going to have to replace me because I, this is this is where I'm, you know, he started, you know, the thing that really made me mad in the interview was, you know, pandering um, with the black nephew thing. And, and I'm not and I'm not saying that's not 
his 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 brother isn't a good father to that. But I'm just saying, like, don't don't patronize us. When Colin Kaepernick's career was being ended, if you felt if you really were with him, you should have walked out the door too. If you couldn't make the if you couldn't find support needed to support him and you knew he was right, you should have walked out of the door too. But you were too busy wanting to get that forty million dollars a year. It was too much to let go. And that's really what it came down to. You chose money over doing what's right. It's easy now to come out against oppression. It's, it's, it's convenient. It's convenient to say certain things and do certain things. Yeah, there's always going to be dissenters, but now the sentiment is, hey, yeah, people, there's oppression. We can talk, we can, you know, Ben and Jerry's, you know, kicked it off from the corporate standpoint. They said, hey, this ain't just about, this is about 1619. And it was like, oh, here we go. And, and, and so I say that to say I'm, I'm I'm glad I stopped watching the NFL. It wasn't necessarily for that reason, but I'm just glad that they're so morally corrupt. And then for him to come on and try to rewrite history, you you talk about you know people that won or people that winning. You know, as white America rewrites history, it's like he was on the wrong side of things. He stood by and watched Colin Kaepernick be destroyed, um, his name denigrated, all these things, and it was just like. You didn't support the players. You didn't support the way that your father would have supported. He's, and, and one of the questions that was asked at the end of the interview by Emmanuel Acho was, was, would your father have been proud? And I would, and, and I don't want to speak of what my father would say. I, I love my kid no matter what, but based on the way his father was, I don't think he would have been proud of the way he handled this situation with Colin Kaepernick because it's been four, it's four years later and you're now talking about Colin Kaepernick. Bro, this is four years ago. You should have been saying these things. And that's that's it. I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. I mean, I'm at a point in my life. You heard me on the intro. You you know where I'm at with this. There's no point. There's no need to. We we can't either be be on the right side of things or just don't be on it at all. Right. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I I took on a more kids glove approach, but um, I definitely agree with everything you said. And the league put out a statement, and it had like about six bullet points on the things that they're gonna do to help implement change. And out of the six out of the six bullet points, it was really only two. And then the other four was just like a regurgitation of the other two. And basically the two points were vote and meet with politicians and law enforcement because it said like, we're gonna close all of our facilities so our players and staff can go out and vote. And then the next bullet point was like, we're gonna educate our players so that they can tell their friends and family to vote. And then the third bullet point was like, uh, we're going to make sure we put ads on TV telling people how they should vote. So it, it was really just vote and they're going to meet with law enforcement and local politicians. So now I here to criticize that move, just letting you know. I actually, I actually, I actually want to criticize this because it's, oh, okay. and, 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 I, and I don't want to co-opt this because I'm not a cross streams type of guy, but one of the things that we talked about in an episode I recorded on defund the church was there are police union contracts and use of force policies. And so now I'm hearing the terms that, that I'm needing to know about how is things going to get changed. Talking to somebody ain't going to do a damn thing. Okay. And so if you're not talking about looking at police union contracts and use of force policies, then you can miss me with that. And I think that's, that's, that's where we need to become more educated on what we're actually looking at. And I think that's, that's the a point of, um, of, of where we need to be is like we keep marching around the same circles and people keep papering over things with prayer and thoughts and I and, and I believe in God I won't say more than anybody that sounds very 
pretentious, but I believe in God as much as, as, as anybody who would claim to believe, but without, action, but, yeah. but without this action, without the understanding mm -hmm. of what to do in the system, right? The kingdom yeah. of God will not come to pass. You know, believe it or not, for those people who believe in God, you may not know this, the most important thing about Jesus Christ was not your salvation. It was not. It was so that the kingdom works uh, God wanted would be done on earth. Your salvation is a benefit to being in the kingdom of God so that when your physical body passes away, you will not be eternally damned. But right now, your main job is to do God's will on earth. And he gave everybody a job where one of one. So where you're sitting back on the sideline, talking about the world's getting bad, waiting for heaven, looking for a doomsday apocalypse, talking about Joe Biden is a, is, 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 is a pedophile and China's a dragon, you need to get out there and make a difference. I love it, man. Um, so uh, we've, we've talked on this show about George Floyd. Uh, we're both from Mobile. We talked about Michael Moore. Uh, you know, it seems like there's always a a popular uh, national, I, sh I shouldn't say popular, a national case of police taking the life of an unarmed Black man. And back in March, on March 23rd to be exact, uh, the brother of Daniel Prude called the police. His brother was it was snowing outside. It was nighttime. His brother was outside running uh, completely, completely naked. So the cops show up. He's in the streets. They pull up. They tell him to get down. He gets down like something was wrong with him, but he he followed commands. As soon as they said get down, he got down in the prone position. He put his hands behind his back. They handcuffed him. Now, the video I saw, I mean, if people saw different videos, please let me know. But the video I saw, it kind of immediately cuts to them putting what they call a spit rag over his face. So now he has like this bag over his face and he's proned out. From what I saw, he wasn't like doing anything crazy, like resisting or anything like that. He was doing what they were telling him to do for whatever reason. Again, from the video I saw, two officers are like, just holding his head down in the pavement for at least two minutes. Uh, just, just with both hands pressing his head down. Now you can hear them saying, stop, man, but listen, you're not gonna pull that one over on me because I, I know the tricks of the trade. One of the things, believe it or not, one of the things police officers are taught to do to help their case in case witnesses are around is to say, stop resisting to keep yelling, stop resisting. So if any onlooker from a distance is watching, they can say, well, the officer kept saying stop resisting. So I guess he was resisting and he had to continue to use force. That's what officers are taught. I'm not saying one way or the other what was going on in this. I can only tell you what I saw in the video. It did not look like he was resisting. He's butt naked. He's handcuffed. He's on his stomach. I don't know how much resisting he could be doing with two grown men pressing his face in the pavement, but they kept yelling, stop resisting. The, uh, the medical team, the paramedics show up, they take him to the hospital. He's put on life support. He dies a week later. And so I obviously want to get your thoughts on this, but like at this point, and you kind of touched on it on your, on, your, on your last answer when we were talking about Goodell and just, you know, racism in general. You know, our outrage, it, 
we, we've had plenty of outrage. We got to find solutions. And I don't know if it's boycotts, protests, riots, march, speeches, voting. We've done it all. But we have definitely got to find a solution. So uh, I'm not sure if you saw or even particularly know what's going on. But if you do speak on it and, you know, what, what, what are the solutions to this? Because it's, it's happening too much. And it's, it's, it comes down to, I think, racism and how a lot of people look at black people as a threat. I don't know how he was a threat. He wasn't hiding a weapon anywhere. So just, I don't even have a question for you, man. Just, just speak on it. I mean, it just, you know, it just goes back to, uh, you know, black people being exterminated, right? You got to look at the genesis of it, slave patrols. So slave patrols terrorize black people and police still do that now. And then when you look at the legal side of it, uh, again, referencing with the conversations I've had with um, the pastor, Justin Douglas on Defund the Church. And the reason why I'm saying this, because this is new information to me. I just came into knowledge of this, so I'm sharing this. Every police, you know, jurisdiction has their own union contract, which sometimes makes it very prohibitive to fire police officers, which is why sometimes they say, we can't believe they didn't fire these officers. And then um, they also have use of force policies, which may not be releasable to the public. So your, your tax dollars are paying, but you can't know the, 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 when I say use of force, it means that, hey, if I'm stopped for jaywalking, what is, what can happen? If I have a gun, I point out what's the use of force? Like what, what are those things? What are those policies? So when when you have an officer in violation of use of force, it can make it a lot easier to, to to promote, you know, to to how would you say prosecute them in a case versus like you don't really know what's going on. So I would say that we have to become more active in looking and trying to get information, whether it be from our mayor or county executive, from our police departments on their police union contracts. Right, can can I can I see those? Can I see the use of force policies? Some places have released them. Some places have not. Some some um, police departments say they won't because they feel like it's a public safety risk if they know what they're going to do. But I'm like, uh, then it seemed like the other way around, but okay. Um, and, and I say all this to say there was another podcast, which I, I will, I don't remember right now, but there's a podcast. It was a serial. It was like four episodes where it talked about like basically the history of policing and how these policing union contracts got negotiated in cities that weren't, didn't have enough to pay them. So they negotiated these hard line things like, Hey, we can't get fired or we have, much more jurisdiction than we normally would because the city couldn't afford to pay them annual increases. So they're underpaid, but they have more power. So there, there, there's a lot of things going on and why police unions have such a sinister hold on the city. And I think we just have to understand what we're looking at. And for the first time in my life, I'm 38 years old, I had a, a somewhat of an understanding of what I could be looking at or what I should be looking for in regards to why this is happening. Right, we all we understand about voting for DAs and things like that and mayors, but then even within that, how can we look at what's in these police union contracts? What are the use of force policies? These are things that are can be a could be a struggle that if you don't even know what they are. So um, that's that's what I think is the problem is that these police unions have way too much power and they have to be dealt with um, one one by one. Really, has to be each individual person, not individual person, but each. It, you know, it's not something federally that can be dealt with, right? Like a, a presidential election is not going to fix it. Now, what, what happens with the presidential election, in my opinion, is you have a sentiment towards things that people are bending the rules even further. Not, and it's not, it's not as if Rodney King didn't happen, you know, 30 years ago, and we didn't see that. But now people are saying, hey, we've got 
the leadership. We got people saying that, you know, the dog whistle is back. We can go back to what we've always kind of wanted to do, but now we're doing it in plain sight because now we know that with the use of force policy and the union contracts we have, we can be even more brazen. Sentiment is with us. See, sentiment does matter. Laws matter, but sentiment matters too, right? Because the sentiment of if things are, you know, right now, you know, saying if you're if you're a public person, you don't want to say certain things, right? You don't want to you don't want to be Brian Urlacher because sentiment is now against you. But just ten years ago or five years ago, people were saying exactly what Brian Urlacher was saying, and they were and they were being celebrated, and it was like, okay, cool, yeah, no problem, yeah. And so and so, I just I just think there's a lot to it. I think that there's um, some activism that needs to happen in between voting. But people need to understand um, who's in their police departments, getting get, understanding who their police chiefs are, getting that information to have to have those conversations, those dialogues, so it's not happening after somebody is, you know, wrongfully uh, murdered or beaten very badly. I, I think, th and, and then and it's hard because it makes you nervous to say, "Hey, as a black person, can I call the police uh, commissioner or can I call the mayor and say, can I get this information?" Like, I think there's some distrust of can I even get the information, but I think it has to happen. I think there's got to be understanding of what what information we can get, and then getting it, and then looking at it, and then saying who can help us change this if we don't like it, if we can see if we can see what it is. Because some of the times information is redacted when it comes to use of force policies. But um, I say all this to say I'm not an expert at all. I'm learning all of this, but I'm learning this week what I didn't know about the situation and how and how little we understand about how to really change this problem and, and how much more we have to know and do. So like I said, I, I will continue to share as I learn um, more, but that's kind of why we keep getting this over and over again and why cops are put on admin leave. That's in the contract, right? Why they're not fired immediately. That's in the contract and the contracts are hard to break. So the mayor, you know, sometimes has to go and may have a special session sometimes to, to break a contract, right? That's why you kind of hear that sometimes it's starting to come into picture now what's missing. And all this is all around. And you already put this on top of the fact that black people are being exterminated just because you have a double problem, right? Like, so, I mean, I hope I, I, hope I shed some light on, on, what, on, on that. I didn't necessarily answer it in a way that, hey, here's a tangible answer, but here's what we're missing at least, right? Here's something that we can try to figure out, try to go for uh, try, try to, you know, get that information, try to find somebody who can, will campaign to change those things if we find the information is not uh, satis satisfactory when we, when we get it. Yeah, and, and there are actually like, so there's like a, a federal national use of force uh, law that cops should go by, but then each police department usually has a more strict use of force law on top of what the federal law is. And there are several cases that people can refer to that the Supreme Court used to come up with this. And basically it's like, you got Terry versus Ohio, Tennessee versus Garner, Graham versus Connor. There's several other cases that they've used. And that is supposed to dictate what the use of force is and to cover themselves. Police departments are supposed to have an even more strict use of force uh, I guess you call it a standard oper operating procedure or, or rules or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and that may be hard to get what you were saying, but on a national level, they're there. And, you know, basically what I, what I could tell you guys to, to really like sum it up is basically 
you're not allowed to look at the situation in hindsight. You got to take into account everything that's going on as it happens and what would a reasonable police officer do in that situation. And again, like with this Daniel Pruel thing, how do you reasonably justify shoving a man's head in the pavement that's covered with a bag that's on his stomach, handcuffed, not a weapon in sight because he's completely naked, it's snowing outside. That's the answer that I need. Um, we're gonna get out of here with just uh, final thing, man. So for the last couple of years now in Greece, they've had about a little over 100 refugees, this is according to New York Times, that uh, officials in Greece have just left abandoned on the edge of the country's waters. They left them in like rafts and just pretty much forced them out of the country and just left them stranded. Um, the, the Turkish president has threatened to release more than 100,000 of them into Europe. Um, but it's, it's just like a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a crazy story. But, you know, as an American, I don't know how much I can even judge what they're doing over there when you consider what we're doing on our southern border with this administration. But um, I know it's an article that you, uh, you actually pointed out to me. So again, what were your thoughts on that? And is this something that you think the United States should get involved in? Because, you know, we like to, you know, intervene in a lot of things going on in the world. Um, I mean, this is just, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, it's frustrating because you're looking at people and you're like, you would, and the thing is in the article, I don't know if you mentioned this, but basically there were babies that put out in these plastic inflatable rafts with no, yes, no supplies. Like, we're just like, oh, well, you are floating. Cool. Like, and for all of us who have had children and understand how fragile you know, babies are certainly, you know, young, young, even young, just young children in general to think that, I mean, I, again, again, it goes back to remember what you were saying about Roger Goodell, but how he should have stepped down. They were saying that mass people who are from the government came and put these people in these rafts or whatever these, these, you know, at, at, and, and took them to the edge of the water of the, you know, um, Greece or whatever. I, I would have been like, I'm, I'm, I can't do this. Like, I mean, there, there, there's got to be a special place for you to think that you can put a whole family, including young children, in a boat and just, I mean, if they weren't found by, you know, Turkish um, Coast Guard, you know, like, what would have happened? I mean, we know what would have happened, but I'm just saying, like, you know, but again, like you said, what's going on in our borders, what's going on with DACA, the fact that we've used the Bible to try to justify, um, you know, the things that we've done to the people uh, you know, you know, separating parents. I, I'm, I'm just there. There's a lack of humanity, and people are choosing sides right now. And I just say, man, choose, choose. Make sure you choose the right side. Choose life. Um, there's going to be a lot of people who are on the wrong side of things eternally. And I'm not preaching anything doomsday, but I'm just saying, be on the right side of things. Take it. Don't take any day for granted, and don't and don't cut corners. And don't think you can do one thing bad in one area of your life and it won't go into the other because that's really how it happens. Like you just don't you just you don't wake up one day with a and say I'm gonna wear a black mask and put a family out to sea. 
like there's some choices that be get made up until that point. So I just say, man, watch yourself. Watch, watch. All of us need to watch what we're taking in, what we're putting, putting out, and um, refine it and make sure that's being refined in a good way. Because otherwise, you end up you see what we have, and it's it's sickening. Yeah, man. They have uh, one woman that said, you know, she left Syria to escape the bombing, only to be treated like this. Just pretty much sent out to sea without, like you say, any supplies, man. So definitely a very, very terrible uh, thing that's going on over there. Um, I just want to say before we get out of here, you know, this show, we're big on telling people to vote. And I'll be the first one to tell you guys, voting doesn't solve everything. You know, voting is really just the, the beginning of your involvement, the beginning of your activism, the beginning of trying to make a change. So no, voting is not the answer to everything, but it's definitely something that needs to be done. And, you know, especially if you're a minority in this country, you got a lot of people that are counting on your apathy. You know, that's a lot of that happened in 2016. And there's a lot of of effort, there's a lot of money, and there's a lot of power put into trying to keep certain people from voting. And my, my challenge to you is to not let that work. You know, one election isn't going to, I don't want you to fool yourselves and think one election is going to change everything. I remember when Obama first got elected in, in 08, people, people actually thought racism was about to end. All the problems were going to go away. We finally had a, a black president. That's not how change works. Change doesn't happen with one election, one politician. Change happens when certain events happen in the world, like what happened to George Floyd, and you see how everybody now is placating to Black Lives Matter. When certain events happen and you have the right people in office, that's when change can really take place. But it's not going to happen off one election, off one, one politician. So don't let the suppression work. We saw what happened in Kentucky where they closed all those voting polls. We saw in uh, Georgia where the predominantly black areas, the average wait time was 51 minutes to cast your vote. The average wait time of majority white areas was four minutes to vote. They don't want you to vote. So if you're with someone who says, man, voting doesn't matter, your vote doesn't count, that you can tell them that's complete bullshit because Rich, powerful people don't waste their time spending money on things that don't count. They know it matters. They know it counts. And that's why there's so much effort in making you stay home, making you feel that apathy that nothing is going to change. That's exactly what they want. And my challenge to you is to not fall for it. And don't just stop at the national elections. Frank, he, he says it more than I do. Participate in your local elections as well. In fact, they probably affect you more than anything. But make sure you cast that vote, man. And, you know, I know you always hear the story of how people died and people sacrificed. And I know that doesn't move a lot of people, especially since we're so far removed from, from the 50s and 60s and, and even earlier than that. But I'm just telling you, the effort is there to make you stay home. Don't let it work. Get out there and do the easiest part of activism there is, and that's to vote. Amen, brother. Um, 
thank you. Thank you for, again, you know, like I said, all the years. We, we started the show in an election year, and we had no idea what was going to happen uh, in that four years. And I will say that I, I feel like we're better. We're not necessarily better as an end result, but we, we, we're better as individuals. The people that listen to the show, um, I know myself, Byron, just the things we've had to look at and improve in this season, knowing that there were things working against us, but understanding what we had to do. So I want to thank you for being steadfast and just, you know, continuing to promote the show, continuing to promote the understanding that people need to be able to participate um, in the electoral process, not just, um, you know, during during voting season, but, you know, activism and, and things like that, you know, outside of it. And then also understanding that there, there, there are, there are, there is a reason why civil rights movement happened. And, and like you said, there's reason the Missouri Compromise, you got to look back at history, they do not want us to vote. So I think that's very good, very important information you said. So get out there and vote. Um, don't, don't get into this thing of, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter because the, if, if I could say at a minimum, you should be voting bottom up, right? You should know who all your local people are because that does affect you. So don't say it doesn't matter. Um, and, and I do believe something I mentioned earlier that I haven't been able to articulate glory to God until now is sentiment matters. And I get it. The presidential election, the national election may not affect you, but sentiment matters. And I just feel like as a black man, the sentiment of the man in the White House is not with, with me. He is, or, or if anything, he has tilted it in a way that seems against me. So I think that's, that's enough of a reason sometimes to say, who am I going to vote for? And I, and I understand the other side of it. I understand there's just two old white men. I get it. But I'm just saying, everything has consequences. You got to make a choice. So make the best choice you can. Uh, we love you guys. We can encourage you to listen, subscribe, give us five stars, because that's what we're all about. Five stars, give us a good rating. Uh, again, uh, we couldn't do the show without you. So just be safe out there. And God bless you. We'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.